You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. You can be seated. And I would love for you to open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, that's where we'll be tonight. And we will remember the suffering servant, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is made... Um, plain to us in this chapter, the suffering servant. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. Let's go ahead and start by, by reading it. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut, out, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit found in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge 
shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear the iniquities, their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now, what an incredible chapter here. And what we see here is a song. It's a song about the slave of Yahweh or the servant of Jehovah. It's the account or the testimony of the suffering servant. It's the description of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Isaiah and in this chapter was written 700 years before the time of Christ. And it's prophetic, the chapter is, because it looks ahead. Every aspect of this chapter will be fulfilled in the New Testament. And perhaps this is the most important chapter, maybe even in the entire Bible, about the work of Christ. It's quoted in 14, this chapter is, of, 20, of the 27 New Testament books. 14 of them quote from Isaiah chapter 53. And so it looks ahead to what will happen in Christ, while at the same time, this chapter looks back. And that might be confusing to you, but it's, it's pretty easy to understand. Really, this is a prophecy of what the future generation of Israel will look back and say about Jesus Christ. They're going to look back and say, we got it wrong. This is the truth about him. And this chapter is that future generation affirming who Christ is and what he's done. As we've seen, as we've studied the book of Luke, Jesus constantly fell short of the people's messianic expectations. They wanted not salvation. They didn't see their need to be saved. They didn't understand their sinful condition. They wanted immediate, prosperous, political, powerful, earthly power and rule and reign. And so they rejected the Christ because he didn't look like what they wanted or expected. And now in the future, this future generation will look back and say, we got it wrong. This indeed was the Christ, and he died for sinners. And this chapter describes with very striking detail a comprehensive picture. It's detailed, it's complete, and it's comprehensive in its description of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that it's looking back because all of the verbs, mostly all of them, are past tense. So it's looking ahead, Isaiah is, but it's the prophecy of Israel looking back. The verbs are in the past tense. This is what he did. And all of them are, all the pronouns 
Most of them are plural. This is speaking on behalf of the nation of Israel. Looking back on what Christ did and who he was and saying, surely he was the Messiah. We missed it. And so it looks forward, Isaiah does, written 700 years. All of this will be perfectly established as Christ comes in the gospel and it's looking back. Israel will realize that they got it wrong. And in this chapter, we have a complete picture. We have Christ's unity with the Father. We have the incarnation. We have his rejection. We have his crucifixion. We have his uh, 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 reward and heavenly reward. We have his heavenly glory and intercession. All of it's here. And in summary, all of this points to God's great work in salvation. In salvation. This is the suffering servant. There's been many misunderstandings about this chapter. Many false uh, interpretations about this chapter and what Christ has come to do. But ultimately, this points us to man's condition. Man's standing before God. How man is made right with God. And the remedy is Jesus Christ. This is the picture here. Jesus, God's Christ, provides salvation for sinners. So as we look at this complete picture, we're going to see four points. And we're going to have to get through this. It's a lot. The chapter is. So we're not going to be able to touch every part of it. And we're only going to talk about the first three points tonight. And we'll save the last one for Sunday morning. Here's what we'll see in this chapter. The suffering servant, first of all, in verses one through three, was rejected by man. Number two, in verses four through six, though he was rejected by man, he was received by who? God. In verses four through six. Then in verses seven through nine, we'll see that this suffering servant remained obedient. And then number four in verses 10 through 12, which we'll look at on Sunday, is that this servant realized God's plan or God's will. And so we look at this tonight, and we'll start with the first three and look at the last one on Sunday. This chapter is very clearly and easily broken down into these four sections. There's no debate about that. And so it's easy for us to see what's happening here. I think it'll be pretty clear to you as you look at it. Let's look at this, shall we? Verses one through three, we see number one first, that Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, was rejected by man. Verses one through three. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We see here, as you follow along with it, it's pretty simple. What the question being asked here by this future generation of Israel is, 
Who believed the message given to us? The nation didn't believe it. The people didn't believe it. They rejected it. It says, who believed what he has heard from us? We rejected it. The, the translation here really is, who has believed what has come to us? What has been brought to us? And the message, therefore, came out of Israel after that. And what is seen here in the second half of verse 1 is, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is always pictured of as the Lord's power, right? The right arm of the Lord is always describing the Lord's power. What the question is being asked here is, is who has this power been revealed to? It's, it's pointing to the fact that this message has to be heard and this message also has to be divinely revealed by God. And who has it been revealed to? Who's heard it and believed it? It's been rejected. The power here is the power of the gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us that we are not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power. This is the right arm of the Lord, the power of God in salvation that's being described here. God is able to save sinners through his work. He's able to make a sinner right with God. He's able to justify and bring about forgiveness. Who's believed this? Who's heard it? And really the answer of this, to this question is pretty simple. And for Israel it was, we didn't. We didn't believe it. And you want to know why they didn't believe it? Well, I'm going to show you because it's pretty clear. Verse 2 starts the reason why they rejected this Messiah. It starts with a big old word that's a very important word. What's that word? For. Who's believed it? Who, who's it been revealed to? For. Here's the reason that it was rejected. Here's the key to this. And here we see his humiliation and his and human expectation that he failed to meet. It says this, for he grew up before him like a young plant. This points us to the fact that he was cared for by God. He was one with the father, right? God had a special care upon his son. He grew up before him like a, a young plant, right? And what we see here is this care from the Father. What's interesting here is it says that Jesus Christ grew up before him. That's, this is a separation, a distinction. But in verse 1 here, who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Jesus Christ is described as the power of God. And in verse number 1, they're the same. They're one. They're unified. In verse number 2, they're distinct and they're separate. That's theological. Jesus Christ is God, and yet he is distinct from the Father. And so it's asking here, it's telling us here that he grew up also distinct from him. In his humanity, he was cared for by God. He was his beloved son. But how was he received? It says like a young plant. He was tended to by God. But young plants aren't very advantageous to people, are they? They don't produce anything. You don't need them, right? 
And it goes on to say, like a root out of what? Dry ground. He was a root out of dry ground. He was unimpressive. Who's believed this message? Here's the reason why he was rejected. Because he was unimpressive. The, 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 the term here is like a sucker branch. One that is just cut down. It's dead. You don't need it. And this speaks of his birth. This is speaking of the birth now. We're starting in the very beginning of his life. This is the birth. This is the manger scene. He, he grew up before God like a young plant. He was cared for by God. But to man, it was like a root out of dry ground that produces no fruit. He was dead. He was meaningless. He was from the town of where? Where? Bethlehem and grew up in Nazareth uh, in Galilee, right? What good can come from where? Right? And so nothing good. He was not of noble birth. He, was a, he had a virgin teenage mother. But then it grow, goes on not only to describe his early life, but then his, his life in uh, growing up and in his ministry. He had no what? No form or majesty that we should look on him and no beauty that we should desire him. He didn't look like a king. In his early years, God was caring for him, but he looked like anything but important. In his life, in his ministry, they were expecting a coming king, the one who would bring salvation. They understood salvation. The word salvation just means deliverance, right? That's what salvation means, deliverance. We know that salvation that we need is deliverance from what? Sin. They thought their salvation, their deliverance was going to come from who? Rome. And this didn't look like a king who could deliver them. There was no uh, form or majesty that you should look at him. He didn't look like a king, right? This is what they expected of the Messiah, and this one did not look like he could, he could do this. He had no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, it says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. This is his later life and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. This is what Jesus was like. He understood, listen now, the true condition of man, the need for salvation. This is what he came to bring. But Israel didn't recognize their sin. They didn't know they needed to be saved. That's why on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is bringing about the new covenant, he's saying, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who weep. What Jesus is saying there on the Sermon on the Mount is if you would recognize your sin and weep over it and mourn over it and realize you need salvation from sin, right? Not salvation from Rome. You would experience true salvation before God. They didn't realize that. They're looking for a king and Jesus is looking upon them and weeping because he knows the condition of their souls and their need of salvation, and they don't know it. Blessed are the ones who do recognize that and repent. So Jesus here is not who they expect. He is one who's acquainted with grief. And it says here at the end of verse 3, he was despised and we what? 
esteemed him not. Esteemed him not. You know what that refers to? It's a, an accounting term. What means, it, it means this, it, it didn't add up. This didn't look like the Messiah that we, what? Expected. It didn't add up. We esteemed him not. He was despised by the leaders of Israel, and he was rejected by the people. His, the people didn't even look at him, especially in his crucifixion. His face was so disfigured that people didn't even look at him. We esteemed him not, meaning it's, an, again, an accounting term. He had no value to us. We didn't see any reason why we should value anything that he could bring. And so their appraisal of him was that this wasn't adding up. And so they chose to do what? To turn their faces from him, turn away from him. This is the rejected Christ. He was rejected by who? By who? Men. But the second thing we see here in this description of Jesus Christ is that he was received by God. Received by God, verses four through six. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This here in these verses, verses four through six, describe what is called substitutionary atonement. When I say he was received by God, what I mean by that is he was received as the payment for what? Sin. He satisfied God. He was received by God as a satisfactory payment, as a substitute. This is what we see here. This is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. It says this in verse four, surely he has borne our what? Griefs and carried our sorrows. This suffering servant himself took on our what? Our sin, right? Our sin here. And so here's the, this doctrine here is called expiation. Expiation is that he took on himself our sins. He, he took it on himself and he took them away. He took away our sins. And so here it describes some things. It describes that he took on our griefs, our sorrows. Look at this. Look at verse four. Our griefs and our what? Sorrows. Those are the effects of sin, right? The effects of sin. We see even further on in verse five, he was pierced for our what? Transgressions. That speaks of something, of, um, something lawful, right? This was a breaking of God's what? Law. This is, this is judicial. This is, uh, this is um, uh, paying the penalty for our um, breaking of God's law. And so he took on the effects of sin. He took on our guilt. 
from breaking God's law. And then it says, in the second half of verse five, he was crushed for our what? Iniquities. Iniquities there is inherent. It's a sickness. It's the evil. It's the, it's the, the um, pervertedness of sin. The actual word here is a bentness. It's to bend double or to twist. It's the twistedness. It's the inherent evil. In other words, he not only took on the effects of sin, he not only took on our um, choice of breaking God's law, but he took on the sin that we are guilty for in our very, in our very nature, who we are. And so we see Jesus here comes and he takes all of this sin upon himself. This is a propitiation is another word for you, which means this. Listen now. It's a wrath removing what? Anybody know? A wrath removing sacrifice, right? A wrath removing sacrifice. This is substitution. This is expiation. This is propitiation. I mean, we could spend a week in these three verses. I don't have time for that now. We move then from the negative to the positive here, because not only has he taken all of this to take away our sin, but it, it's also to give us something. Look at the end of verse five. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. This is a peace. A peace with who? It's a peace with God. This is literally a covenant that secures peace. And then healing. Uh, it's literally upon his wounds or at the cost of his wounds, we are, there is healing for us. Now, this is oftentimes misinterpreted. This is not that Jesus died for your physical healing to ensure that you never get sick. That is a false interpretation of this passage. It's even clearer. Jump to verse 10. It says, when his soul makes an offering for what? For what? Guilt. This offering is for the guilty person because of their sin, not to make them healthy and wealthy. And so that's clear. He himself brings us to peace with God, and he brings us fully into the healing of regeneration, glorification one day when we're with, when we're with God. But I want you to see one more thing here before we get to point number three. And again, I'm flying very high over this. But what we see here is not only will Israel realize that he's borne the griefs, the effects of sin, their law-breaking, their nature um, to bring peace with God and to bring healing, but they're going to notice the full truth of this. Look at verse 6. And what they don't believe is that they are sinners. And later on, they're going to believe and they're going to see for sure their very nature. This speaks of the total depravity of man. It says in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The point here is this. We are totally depraved. He has taken all this sin, it's been put on 
him, our very nature. We could never be right with God. And it's not our only our nature, but that we've chose to go our own what? Way. It's our choice. I mean, this is, if we had time, let me tell you, this would point to the total picture of sin, right? That we are, we have effects of sin, griefs and sorrows. Uh, we are lawbreakers, right? We, um, our very nature is inherently sinful. Um, we have also made the full and complete choice to turn away from God. All of it's pictured here, right? And the total depravity of man. And Jesus has taken on the fullness of this iniquity. Now, I just want you to understand this. Jesus has infinite and eternal capacity to take on every sin from every sinner who will ever believe in him forever. And so Jesus here is this sacrifice. Point number three here that we see in this, and I'm moving fast, but was that Jesus remained obedient in all of this. He was brought up before God. He was cared for by God, yet he was rejected by man. He didn't look like what they expected. Therefore, they um, counted that he was not the Messiah, but in his death, he took on our sin upon himself. He was a satisfying substitute. He paid the price for our sin. And while doing so, he remained completely obedient to God. Look at verses seven through nine. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they make his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Just quickly, let me point this out to you. This points to the willingness of Christ's sacrifice. Listen now, the willingness of his sacrifice. He didn't defend himself at the end. He fully submitted to God. Verse seven points us to that this was voluntary. Verse eight points us to the fact that this was an injustice. And verse nine points us to the fact that this had finality to it. And what we see here is that this is Jesus going to the slaughter Verse seven, just look at it briefly. He was oppressed and he was what? Afflicted. Yet he opened not his, he didn't try to stop it. You remember this? What about with the high priests? What about with Pilate? What about with the Roman guards? He maintained his silence because he knew what was necessary. He goes before God like a lamb that is led to the what? Like a sheep that before its shears remains silent, so he opened not his mouth. You have to understand here, sheep, when they go to be sheared and cut, they enjoy it very much. They're thankful for it because it, it does what? 
It cleans them. And yet, Jesus was going, and let me just tell you this, they go and they remain silent because they trust in the shepherd fully, right? And yet when it's time to be slaughtered, they don't know any better. They know that the shepherd always does them, does him what? Does him good. So he goes silently to be slaughtered. Well, in the same way, Jesus, this time fully knowing what is about to happen to him, goes before the Father, silent, and it wasn't for his own cleansing, it was for what? For our cleansing. And this was for the slaughter, he remained silent, he trusted his Father completely, and he was the lamb, the sacrifice. This, the, the, the people in Israel always, the Father always picked a, a lamb for the sacrifice of sin, and the Father here picked a lamb, uh, uh, his son, to be a sacrifice for sin on behalf, of, uh, on behalf of his people. Jump down to verse eight. Let me finish this off here. This speaks of his judicial proceeding, the judgment, and it's a judgment without restraint. It's oppression and what? Verse eight, judgment. He was taken away. It means this. It was unfair sentencing. It was judicial and this is what this speaks of his trial. I mean, you could go through this in such detail. This is the complete picture of Christ's life and death. He was sent. He was taken away. This was legal punishment. And here's even further at the end of verse 8. When it says this, you might wonder, as for his generation, who considered, right? What does that mean? It means that not only was he taken away by, this, by the, the leaders and treated unfairly, but also that his people had absolutely no sympathy for him. Who considered out of his whole generation that he was being cut off because of their sin? No sympathy from the people. He was cut off. And then here we get to his death, verse nine. They made his grave with the what? Wicked, he was supposed to be put out with the thieves. But what happened? A rich man came. You remember what his name was? Joseph of Arimathea, and he came, and he took the body down, and he put it in the, what? In the tomb. And so here we see this full picture. Let me summarize this. Isaiah's prophecy here. Israel's testimony. It's complete. It's full. Here's what it speaks about Jesus. Listen, just listen real closely. Just listen real close. Jesus was an acceptable payment offered to God he was without sin, he was identified with our sin, and he was a voluntary, willing substitute to pay the penalty for us. This suffering servant, it's, this whole picture, if you walk through this so far, shows us some very powerful things. It shows us that he has the power for salvation, that it needs to be heard and revealed, that he's one with the Father, and yet he's distinct from the Father that he's rejected because he didn't line up with what they expected, but that he's a substitute for our law-breaking, for our nature, and for our choice. It reveals that he's brought peace with God. It reveals that he was willing and obedient. He trusted his father. It reveals his relentless, judicial, unsympathetic trial and rejection by the people, that he was killed, that he was buried, and it ends with the fact in verse 9 
that he was totally sinless in all of it. And this is the picture of Jesus Christ, the suffering servant. And just because of time, let me ask you this. Go back to verse one. Have you believed this message? Have you believed this message? The only way that all of this counts for you on your behalf as your substitute is if you believe it. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.